Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 149 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. It's that time of year. College basketball has definitely taken center stage with the NCAA tournament upon us. The opening weekend was awesome. The Sweet 16 is coming up. And if you're looking to wager on this year's tournament, Bet Online is your number one spot for updated odds and info. Head over to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today. And use promo code BLEAV to get your 50% welcome bonus. Just use promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to get started. Bet online where the game starts. With, with that said, episode 149, a packed episode. Let's get it cracking. Stop. <laughs> Notice I look in your eyes. Let's go. Next time, get If you really let me like a thought, if you really let me do what I say, yeah, get it. It. let me get in my eye. Go. Playing, I'ma set it on fire. My love, she's a masterpiece. I ain't even gotta be funny when I'm telling no joke. She still gon' laugh at me. Still suck my dick when she mad at me. Let her make me mad, you see. I'm not my head in this Them gon' slide on your for me. Bust down, call her your new masterpiece. My love, she's a masterpiece. I ain't even gotta be funny when I'm telling no joke. She still gon' laugh at me. Still suck my dick when she mad at me. Let her make me mad, you see. I'm not my head in this Them gon' slide on your for me. Bust down, call her your new Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 149 for the love of the game. And what a weekend of college hoops. The NCAA tournament rarely disappoints. The first weekend is always awesome. And this year was no exception. We're recording late on a Sunday night. The opening two rounds are winding down. We just had another upset. Auburn loses to number 10, Miami. Auburn was a two seed. Number 10, Miami just beat them by double digits. I mean, an absolutely wild weekend, a wild weekend in the NCAA tournament. And we're going to break all that down with Jordan Marks in just a couple of moments. But before we get into what was a crazy weekend, as I just mentioned, a couple of things. One, in the NFL, there was a big trade. Just when you thought the NFL was going to go quietly and that all the big news was over with, well, you had two major, major stories. One, we had Devontae Adams, arguably the best wide receiver in the league. It's either him or Cooper Cup. Well, he was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders for a first-round pick and a second-round pick. Well, it was clear that he didn't want to play under the franchise tag. And it was very clear that he wanted nothing to do with Green Bay, considering the report was that Green Bay was going to offer him the same amount of money and he just wanted out. It's weird, given the fact that Aaron Rodgers just re-upped for four years and then this happens almost immediately afterwards. Just the whole thing is strange. Apparently, Rodgers knew about it. He knew the situation was untenable and he signed off on this, but you can't help but wonder like what's going on here with green Bay. Like why are stars of green Bay so unhappy considering all the success that they've had. And the fact that the NFC is a lot easier of a conference right now than the AFC is, but Hey, good for the Raiders, man. They're going for it. They're absolutely going for it. Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. I mean, Josh Jacobs, unbelievable, unbelievable skill position group. For the Raiders, I mean, the AFC West is absolutely stacked, absolutely stacked. And there's a really, really, really good chance that they can get four playoff teams. Just crazy, absolutely crazy. And another note in the NFL is Deshaun Watson is heading to the Cleveland Browns. 
is big news. Another big-time quarterback moving. And Deshaun Watson waving his no-trade clause, going to the Cleveland Browns. What this means for Baker Mayfield, I don't know. But the Browns put themselves in the mix. Put themselves in the mix. When Deshaun Watson is right, he's a top-five quarterback in the league. He is head and shoulders better than Lamar Jackson. He's immediately the second-best quarterback in that division. He could be the first if he's right. He could be the first. I mean, I still would lean Joe Burrow just because Joe Burrow played last year, but Deshaun Watson is awesome and just another team in the mix in the AFC. It's crazy how deep and stacked the AFC is. All right, so that's a little NFL. A couple of basketball things before we get into what happened in the tournament. NBA stuff only. So number one, got to give a couple of guys – they're quote-unquote flowers, as their kids say. Guys that I've been hard on forever. Guys that I sometimes can't stand. And we're going to start with Kyrie Irving. It pains me to say this, but but man, Kyrie Irving is super fucking talented, all right? The talent doesn't always equate to winning. It's weird. I, I, I don't quite get it. But man, when that guy's head's on straight, it is it is breathtaking to watch. Within a week, first he started off dropping a 50-piece on 19 shots. 50 points on 19 shots. 15 for 19 from the field. Just absurd. That is damn absurd. Just wild. Absolutely wild. And then, about a week later, he goes for 60. The shot making and the the ability to finish below the rim with the handle, the shooting off the bounce, it's it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I can't stand the guy. He's a fucking lunatic. He's a jackass. He's all these things. But my goodness, is he a talented offensive player? And and when he's super motivated like he was in that Philly game, you see that he can be a pretty decent defensive player too, which is why it's so maddening that he doesn't do it more often. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Now, with all the talent, it doesn't really equate to wins that often. I mean, if Kyrie Irving's not playing with Kevin Durant or LeBron James, he's a career-losing player except for that one stretch in Boston, that mini stretch in Boston. And then eventually they went further in the playoffs without him than with him. But my goodness, what a talent, what a talent. And, and it's, and it's to the point where you're just like, you can't even understand how much of an enigma he is because you see what's on display now. And over this past week, it's just been absolutely, absolutely breathtaking to watch him play offensive basketball. And another guy who I've been hard on, who I've kind of been out on, I'm going to say, I am doing a 180 on him. I mentioned it in an earlier episode, but here it is. Carl Anthony Towns. I was out on Carl Anthony Towns. I was completely 100% out. I questioned if he had any dog in him. I mean, Jimmy Butler emasculated him a couple of years ago to the point where it was just like, it kind of, it it really put a damage on on Carl Anthony Towns' reputation, but this year something's flipped. And I know he went through a lot of personal stuff in the offseason. And you don't wish that kind of stuff on anybody, especially with his mom dying from COVID-19. Just, just terrible. He, he's had it rough. 
And and maybe and, and you don't want that to be a byproduct or a reason why he's been hardened a little bit, but you can't help but wonder if going through some adversity outside the court has just hardened him a little bit. But whatever it is, the results this year have been incredible. And the Minnesota Timberwolves that he's leading, you know, he's leading by example, are 11 games over 500 for a team that no one expected to be this good. And Carl Anthony Towns is the major reason why. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a, is a future star, but Carl Anthony Towns is basically doing his best Steph Curry impersonation, and he's seven feet tall, all right? He also just dropped over 50 points in a game recently, and you saw everything, inside, outside, threes, post-ups, drives to the basket, everything. And he's playing good defense, too. I, I mentioned it on that previous show where – he basically went at the Lakers and at Anthony Davis specifically with a nice amount of fuck you to him. And I say that in the biggest compliment possible, but my goodness, he's been incredible since this year. He's shooting 53% from the field over 40% from three, 83% from the line. Steph Curry numbers. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but like, Carl Anthony Towns is really showing something this year and, and taking a mega leap. And you've seen him put up numbers before, but this is different. The vibe is different. They're not empty calorie numbers, right? Because the team is freaking winning and he's a big reason why. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's anchoring a pretty solid defense, but man, he's been awesome. Awesome. I know the all NBA votes going to come out and for centers, Jokic and Embiid are going to get the first and second team because obviously. But if Carl Anthony Towns doesn't get voted third team center over Rudy Gobert, there should be a riot because anybody with a brain who knows what's going on in the sport of basketball knows that Carl Anthony Towns is 10 times the player that Rudy Gobert is. And kudos to him. He's been absolutely awesome to watch. From guys I'm giving my flowers to, to a guy that I'm just going to continue to dump on, LeBron James. So LeBron James has passed his Carl Malone all-time in scoring, second all-time in the career scoring list, and, and legitimately nobody cares. Nobody cares. Why does nobody care? It, it should be celebrated. It should be celebrated greatly. But because LeBron James is who he is, he's a basketball nomad who's basically just one of the great stat compilers of all time just no one cares and his personality rubs people the wrong way and and it's just great because the lakers are an absolute dumpster fire right now they're 10th in the western conference they have the same record as the new york knicks who are another disaster and we'll get to them in a second but according to lebron james on instagram everything's hunky-dory no issues here fine no issues because he's getting them buckets. Keep getting those points, LeBron. But he stopped trying on defense weeks ago. He stopped trying to box out weeks ago. But hey, hey, get those buckets. Get those buckets in garbage time. Watching Laker fans view this season unfold. They're a combination of in denial, delusional, angry, frustrated it's just a beautiful thing to watch a beautiful beautiful thing to watch and to think that they still say that when we get ad 
healthy, will be okay. I mean, they're two and eight in their last 10 games and haven't won back-to-back games in months. But hey, hey, things may turn around. Things may turn around. From one disaster to the next, New York Knicks. So they're in the news because uh, assistant coach Kenny Payne leaves the Knicks to take the head coaching job at the University of Louisville. He's got Kentucky ties, obviously. Uh, What it means for the Knicks, it's not good, right? Kenny Payne was a friend of Donovan Mitchell's. Somebody Donovan Mitchell was close to, who the Knicks are closely monitoring the situation in Utah, and the situation in Utah is not getting any better because the Jazz are going to be probably out in the first round of the playoffs this year. But whatever. Mitchell's been linked to the Knicks for a while. I, I know you've heard this before, but you know if, if Kenny Payne was important to bringing players like Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks, you can't lose that guy. And I know he's taking a head job at a major program basically a blue blood program and to be an assistant coach, to go from being assistant coach to that, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to turn that down if you're Kenny Payne, but you know how the Knicks could have avoided this. You know how the Knicks could have avoided this. It's very simple. All right. Very, very simple. Fire Tom Thibodeau. And I say this before tonight's result of tonight's, game against Utah. But now that we know the result against Utah, and I really didn't watch a second of this game, but I knew what was happening. The Knicks were down in the fourth quarter. Alec Burks stinks. Julius Randle stinks. Evan Fournier was fine, but ultimately still does things where you're just like, I I can't believe that he plays as many minutes as he does. Knicks are down double digits going into the fourth. First five minutes of the quarter, they make a run. Obi Toppin, Emmanuel quickly, the bench bob is in. They cut it to five. What happens? And again, I didn't watch a single second of the game, but I knew exactly what was going to happen. Around the seven and a half minute mark, Tibbs goes back to the starters. Julius Randle, Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, and the Knicks lose by 15 points. It's the definition of insanity at this point. It's the definition of insanity. You have to get rid of Randle. You'll take a bag of balls a handful of used Q-tips and whatever, just get rid of his ass and you have to fire Tibbs. You have to fire him. It's, it's crazy already. It's absolutely crazy because the worst part about this Knicks season is that there is some confidence below the surface. Wild, absolutely wild, absolutely wild. And one last thing on the NBA, and this will be a nice transition to the college game because I watch, you know, the college basketball. I mean, I watch March Madness because the drama is incredible. You know, it's one of the great sports spectacles of the year. But I'm mostly an NBA guy. And when I monitor college basketball throughout the year, I do so for the pro prospects. Now, I was going through this with a friend actually recurring guest Johnny Nolman over the weekend. And looking at this year's crop of draft prospects in the, in the eyes, or I should say, judged against what we've seen out of the last couple of NBA drafts. The last couple of NBA drafts have yielded an incredible amount of really talented players, whether they're stars or rotational players, the depth 
of quality to high, high level NBA players from the last three or four NBA drafts are crazy. Let's let's just go through this right now. All right. Let's just let's go through it. Okay. So we have, let's start with the 2020 NBA draft. Okay. You have stars, potential stars. LaMelo Ball has already been an all-star. Anthony Edwards is on his way. Patrick Williams is a talented, talented player. Then you have guys who are solid, right? Tyrese Halliburton, a little bit more than solid, even though I ragged on him before just because everybody's overrated him after the trade. Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey, Cole Anthony, all right? Danny Avija is solid. Obi Toppin showed flashes. Anyeki Okongwu has showed flashes. Isaac Okoro. That's already like 10 guys in a draft. That's pretty good. Let's go back to the 2019 draft, okay? Zion Williamson, John Morant, all right? When Zion is right, he's one of the 20 best players in the NBA. John Morant right now is going to be on, you know, MVP ballots. RJ Barrett, good. Darius Garland, already an all-star. Okay, but who else? We got Tyler Hero, really good. P.J. Washington, super solid. Matisse Thybulle contributing to a playoff team. Brandon Clark, Darius Baisley, Grant Williams. Nasir Little's got talent, all right? Cameron Johnson's been awesome for the Suns. That's another, like, 10 dudes. DeAndre Hunter when he's healthy, okay? Let's go back to the 2018 draft. Luka Doncic, a superstar. DeAndre Ayton, really good. Jaron Jackson Jr., really good. Trey Young, borderline superstar. Wendell Carter Jr., really solid. Okay, Colin Sexton, say what you want about him, but he's been a good NBA player. Not my cup of tea, but a good NBA player. Shea Gildress-Alexander is a budding superstar. Miles Bridges may win most improved player of the year. Mikael Bridges, really, really good player who just got paid. Michael Porter Jr., immensely talented, if not for the back injuries. All right, and the list goes on. Grayson Allen contributes to a winning team. Anthony Simons, a budding star, possibly. I mean, it's crazy, all right? It's crazy how many awesome guys have come into the league in the last four years. And then you got the rookie class this year, which has been incredible. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobile is probably going to win rookie of the year. Scotty Barnes. Then you have guys who are solid, Franz Wagner, Josh Giddy. Then you have another tier, guys like Davion Mitchell, Quentin Grimes. Uh, just an insane amount of talent. And that all goes to say that looking at this coming draft, I don't see this coming NBA draft being 10, 11 guys deep, whether it's with potential stars, already stars, or solid rotation players. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. Not like we've had the last three to four years, because the run we've had is absolutely absurd, absolutely absurd. And the NBA is as talent rich and as stacked as it's ever been. And it's why there's probably going to be two more teams, one in Seattle and one Las Vegas in the coming years. In terms of a talent level, the NBA can for sure handle it. And the league won't even be watered down in terms of talent. Just incredible. And that's why as great as college basketball is and as fun as March Madness is, and it's been awesome as a product, NBA basketball is so far superior 
to college basketball. It just is. If you love the game of basketball for the game of basketball, NBA dwarfs college seven days a week and twice on Sundays. With that said, now again, and that's not to diminish March Madness at all and the enjoyment of March Madness, but for the sake of the sport of basketball, NBA over college any day of the week. With that said, we're going to bring on Jordan Marks again. We're running it back to talk about the craziness that was the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. A lot to discuss, a lot of meat on that bone, and we're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Tons of people are taking multivitamins, and it's important to choose the one that is top, top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and more. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I'm 35 years old. I still like to get after it athletically, and I have tried Athletic Greens, and it's awesome. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar, no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water per day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's athleticgreens.com slash B-L-E-A-V to get started. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. So now it's three weeks in a row. Jordan Marks is back. There's a lot of meat on the bone to talk to. I start off with this, all right? We've got guys from New York City and New Jersey. We ain't scared of anything. Jordan, <laughs> how are we feeling, bro? Long weekend. I mean, the I was saying to a friend, the Empire State Building is peacock blue this weekend. Yo, New York we, City's team, St. Pe- Peter's, the Peacocks. The tri-state area is so back, dude. It is so back. So let's just start there, right? Who had a better weekend? The, the, uh, the options are Jordan Marks and his Michigan Wolverines making it to the Sweet 16 again for the fifth straight year. The University of Louisville fans who got a solid coach and had the great pleasure of watching Kentucky go up in flames or the reputation of guys from New York and New Jersey being the toughest dudes around. Who had the best weekend? Yeah, I mean, I'm Jordan Marks, so I'm, <laughs> I'm having a great time. I mean, the NCAA tournament was back in full swing. Uh, sold out arenas. It, it was awesome to have that back. Got to watch with friends. Got to go to bars to watch the game. Everything was just, it, it was just so great to have it back. And then. Yeah, for Michigan to do what they did. I'm I lost my voice because I'm just exhausted and just it's been a crazy weekend. But um yeah, oh New York, New Jersey, those tough dudes. Hilarious. You know, awesome. You know what we've realized the last two years? You know what's really fun? Watching sports with your friends who also like watching sports. I know it's a crazy concept, but like that's a good time. It's it was a great time. I mean, it was, and uh, it was, 
it's so fun now. I mean, obviously, I'm not a big gambler, but the fact that gambling is legal, it changes the way these bars are watching games. It was just a quick thing. It was the Texas game on Friday. And I think most people must have had a first half line of Texas minus one and a half. Marcus Carr is coming half court buzzer beater to cover the place erupts. And this is just a random sports bar in Gramercy, but it was just, it was packed. St. Patrick's day was Thursday combined with the Purim aspect, I guess it was nuts. The whole city was awesome. It was wild. And obviously, as you know, that I, I was like fighting jet lag. I was persevering. I fell asleep on the couch uh, you know, Thursday, it yeah. was, it was just, it was just wild. So let's, cause obviously like it didn't disappoint. It, it was crazy, but so let's start from the beginning, right? Because we'll, we'll go in chronological order Thursday, first day of the tournament. Yeah. We, we saw two teams with serious final four buzz lose uh, in Kentucky there was a lot of people who were back in Iowa to the final four. They lose in terms of the craziness level on, on Thursday on a scale of one to 10, where was Thursday for you in terms of crazy? I'm going to give it like a, a seven, 7.5. It was pretty crazy. I mean, I, it's hard not to start with the Peacocks. They, they were the highlight of the weekend. I mean, 10th time in NCAA history that a 15 seed won. And just the third time that, I mean, we're, we're going to move forward a little, but Oral Roberts, Dunk City, they're the only teams ever to make Sweet 16 uh, from the 15 line. It's, it's unreal. I mean, this team is, is random guys from New York and New Jersey and this one Puerto Rican guy, and they're ranked 225th in adjusted offensive efficiency. Uh, they have no shooters except for this dude with a mustache, Doug Edder. Who looks like he should be on the sex offenders <laughs> list. But he's getting buckets and busting brackets everywhere. The, the average height of this team is six foot four, yet they blocked 11 shots over the weekend. It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're going to play against the country's best offense this week. So we'll see what happens. But they're going back to Philadelphia. So let's see the, the wave of fans coming in because now the game is going to be a lot closer to home. So we'll see. But that, that was electric. Uh, but day one overall was still awesome. I mean, Moving backwards from the, the last game, the Murray State-San Francisco game was awesome. Um, yep. Jamari Bouye almost single-handedly lifted the Don season. You had another star uh, in Teddy Allen, Teddy Buckets, the New Mexico State Aggies knocking off UConn uh, for their second straight season where they were a higher seed. The San Diego State-Creighton game was awesome. Crazy. Overtime. That was great. Crazy and then Iowa. Yeah, the Iowa loss was crazy. Um, really, really fun day of basketball. We talk about the 512 every year, and we had a stretch where it was like, you know, two of two of the four or five seeds were gonna lose to the 12 seeds. And then we had a stretch where it was just like, all right, it's become cliche. Everybody's picking the 12-5, you know, pick the which 12 seed you like in the brackets, and everybody losing the five seeds are advancing. Well, this year, the 12 seeds were back with a vengeance against the five seeds. Because Absolutely. UConn, Iowa, it was just crazy. Absolutely crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, those were those were crazy. And, yeah, it's an awesome, awesome day of basketball. A lot of overtime games. And, uh, yeah, really good. Before we get into uh, Calipari and his uh, 
tournament resume the last couple of years. I mean, we, we spoke about this a couple of times, right? That the top of the league, I guess, the top of college basketball, there was a tremendous amount of parity, right? That the, the gap between the one seed to the four seed was not really high. And the gap from the four seed to a seven seed was not really high. And I think this tournament, more so than in any other year, really, you know, that really came to light because we, throughout the first four days, we had, you know, upsets galore. And what was shocking to me was that these, uh, you know, the underdog seeds, the higher seeds, there was no fear factor when they came into games, right? Yeah, you had a couple of them get blown out, but like, there was absolutely, they were fearless. There was like, they, there was no like respect level of like the higher seeds. They just came in like, we're taking this shit. And it was, absolutely. it was crazy. Absolutely. And I think you also have a lot more upperclassmen and, you know, fifth, six year players now because of well, COVID for sure. But then a lot of these eligibility rules changing and transfer rules and grad years. So, I mean, you're playing against 25, 26 year olds. I don't care. I don't care what level of basketball you're playing, whether it's the MAAC like St. Peter's or um, the Ohio Valley like Murray State. You're playing with adults, and, and that's yeah. the bottom line. So they're not going to be scared of you. Yeah, there was there was a maturity level. There was a definite maturity level that you saw of these um, of these higher seeds, right? Because they don't have the one and dones in terms of going to the NBA, and there was a continuity level, and you saw it all weekend. You saw it all all weekend. So let we touched on it. You know, let, let's go back to Cal for a second. Cal Perry's clearly the biggest loser of the first weekend, correct? Uh, I mean, I sure he 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 lost to a 15 seed. I don't see how you can you can't be a bigger loser, right? So, um, well, you would well you would say that he um you know he was vindicated a little bit because you know Saint Saint Peter's is going to the the uh, Sweet 16, but like. How many years of this Calipari falling flat on his face in the tournament with, with NBA caliber players not being able to beat a, a simple zone and the fact that they were up and the team was in the zone and he blew it. All you had to do is just like pass the ball around the perimeter and you should be able to win this game. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Like he's definitely a big loser, but it's so hard to say. Hey, yeah, the NCAA tournament means everything. That's the problem, right? Like, his season was awesome. They had a great season. Um, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because everything comes down to what you do in March. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's that. I don't know if you're putting him on the firing fence, but that's never going to happen because he's still a Hall of Fame coach. And it's, no one's going to have as much recruiting success and development success as him. And, you know, you don't replace someone like that. Yeah, but Kentucky, okay, but Kentucky fans are as passionate as they get, right? They sure. don't expect this, okay? They don't tolerate this. Like, at a certain point, if he doesn't win another one soon and if he has another, you know, disastrous first or second round exit, like, at what point is Big Blue Nation going to, you know, say, we've had enough of this, it's time for somebody else? If there, there is no louder fan base in college basketball than that fan base. So I don't, I don't have any doubt that that'll be very soon if it happens again. There. Well, except, except for the Duke fans. 
<laughs> two fans are allowed. North Carolina are allowed because we saw that this week. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, we'll get to them in a little bit. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I just – Calipari, I mean, besides for the – yeah, I know he had a great resume with UMass, right? No one expects anything at UMass. He goes to the pros, all right, fine. He has the meltdown when he was with Memphis with the Derrick Rose team, you know, losing a, an eight-point lead with two minutes left in that title game against Kansas. He got one with Anthony Davis. Great. But, like, now it at a certain point, you have to think, like, he's been a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, he's – I mean – Prior to last year, which was whatever, he's probably tossing it out. But he's been Sweet 16s in most years, and and then from there, it's all about matchups, right? And it is what it is. I just I can't get caught up in that because I don't. I think like there's no reason not to think that he's not going to be a one or a two seed next year because he's got a good class coming in. He's going to have some probably great guys from the portal come in. You know, the Kentucky institution supports him so much from an NIL standpoint that it's going to be easy to do this again. Okay. So the SEC is getting stronger, which is a big difference because these football, these football programs are flushing money into the basketball side of things. And we're seeing that on court. Well, one guy who was happy that Calipari took a major L is Fran McCaffrey, because otherwise he would be the, uh, the biggest loser of the weekend. I mean, how many tournaments in a row now has he been, you know, falling on his face early in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it sucks for them because they really had such a promising weekend in Indianapolis, winning the conference tournament, um, Big Ten tournament champions. Uh, and then Keegan Murray's stock was just rising and rising and rising. But problem with Iowa and Fran is just they just failed to get stops at times during the games. It, it was horrible. Um, you know, they turned the ball over a lot that game. It was that was a kind of a mess, and they really just let it go to Richmond in the back of that second half. So uh, disappointing because God, it was out here just last week being calling out Iowa a potential lead eight candidate. So sucks. I'll never forgive myself. I bought into the hype. You know, my bracket's obviously a disaster. Um, but yeah, Mark Titus. I was listening to uh, to him before filling it out and. Uh, Thanks, Mark. Thanks for nothing, dude. Um, all right. So that was pretty much the first round. And there was a lot of crazy. So the second round, you know, we just talked about coaches who choked in the first round. Well, you had coaches choking in the second round, too, uh, that have a propensity to do so earlier on in the tournament. We had a Rick Barnes special against your Michigan Wolverines. That was maybe one of the ugliest games I've ever seen. We had Bruce Pearl doing Bruce Pearl things in the tournament. I mean, it, it, what stood out to you in the second round uh, yeah. in terms of just like what was the biggest thing that uh, that caught your eye besides obviously Michigan upsetting well, yeah. Tennessee? I mean, and also besides St. Peter's winning again. Right. No, of course. Yeah. Right. Because we just we, <laughs> okay. we gave them their we gave St. Yes. Peter's their flowers already. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about a bunch of losers because that's, you know, it's what jumps out and. And really, the Big Ten, a big loser here. Um, only Purdue and Michigan left standing of nine teams that were in the field. Wisconsin lost to Iowa State. Illinois lost to Houston. Ohio State lost to Villanova. Michigan State lost to Duke. Um, I mean, it's, it's another year, again. Um, second straight year where the league had the most bids. 
and two or fewer teams are into the second weekend of the tournament. Yeah, but um, at least, but a lot of those teams that lost were were major underdogs. Not me. They weren't major. They were major underdogs. underdogs, but they were underdogs. Right, right. Only Wisconsin was favored. Right. Even even Illinois, who was the higher seed, wasn't favored against Houston. But at the same time, you get nine teams in the field, only having two uh, remaining. It doesn't it doesn't bode well for your chances to get your first conference to get your first champion since 2000, which is just crazy. Um, and Illinois, by the way, was lucky to win its first round game. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, we didn't even talk about day two, but Chattanooga was winning that game for 39 minutes and 28 seconds. So uh, that was that was crazy that Illinois won that one. But, um, yeah, so the Big Ten is a big loser. And then, like you said, Baylor, Auburn, and Tennessee um, really, really faltered this weekend when most were saying – those are, um, those are teams that are one or two seeds. So surefire second weekend teams, if not final four um, contenders. Baylor, abysmal performance. Um, that game only gets to overtime because the refs. Brady Maddock gets tossed because of that elbow to Jeremy Sohan's face. Um, from there, they're up 25 and the game just gets away from them. Um, you know, thankfully, Armando Baycott and RJ Davis were great. Leaky back was awesome. But even and, uh, even and we'll get to the referees in a second. But even with the referees not having a great performance in that game, USC no. did a lot of dumb things. Like they were no. like their execution was poor. They couldn't get the ball in bounds. Like it was just it was weird. For sure, for sure, absolutely. But terrible performance by Baylor, nonetheless. Auburn. Baylor's defense, I mean, we said this before when the bracket came out, and I actually, you know, not to pat myself on the back because I didn't get a whole lot right, but I predicted that UNC was going to beat Baylor in the second round. They, they were hurt. Like, it wasn't like the yeah. full Baylor team from earlier on in the year. So I kind of give them a pass. And plus, there was a crazy stat that I heard that defending champions from the year before basically don't get at around 32. They haven't gotten out of the round 32 in the last couple of years. These are all great stats. Them being heard is great. There's no reason to lose, be losing by 30. Okay. They, they were still yeah. good. They hadn't had LJ Cryer or JTT for a while. So it's not like they didn't just lose those guys the last week, you know, but still that's Baylor is not going to be returning as a national title this year. So Baylor is Baylor. Auburn, we, we talked about last week. We, we, we felt they were vulnerable. Um, Miami, we just wanted that game more. Um, Miami shot almost 60% of the field. They picked up 10 steals. They got 20 fast break points. Um, Jabari was bad, but again, like, like we were speaking earlier, it's, their guard play is terrible. Wendell Green, Katie, Katie Johnson, six, six seven, seven turnovers, shot two of 12 from three. That's, that's horrible. It's pathetic. And not only that, but they the guards also just like freeze out Jabari Smith. It's like they almost they they don't even realize that they have the potential number one pick and possibly best player in the country on their team. And, and it's just like, okay, they're like the I got this guys that you don't want them to be the I got this guys. Inexcusable, inexcusable against a team of Miami that has a lot less talent on it. So. And, then, and Miami and, played a thriller in round one against USC. Absolutely. That was a great game, too, that we forgot to that mention. Was, that was an yeah. awesome game. You almost had Peterson hit a shot from half court to win it. Like, that was nuts. 
Yeah, that was a phenomenal game. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent game. Yeah. So the we highlighted it on the UNC game um, in terms of sparking the comeback for Baylor. But the turn in the punch bowl that was this weekend is the refereeing. We obviously had, you know, the manic play in the UNC uh, Baylor game. And the one that I sent you was in the Illinois-Houston game, that technical foul on hanging on the rim uh, for the dunk for Illinois. I forget who it was. Yeah, R.J. Melendez. Yeah, his momentum is taking him that way. And Reggie Miller was, like, incredulous about it. I mean, that's the worst technical foul call I've ever seen. And if I was the coach for Illinois, like, I would have – I would have gotten thrown out of the game. I would have gotten fined. I would have gotten suspended. Like that was egregious, absolutely egregious. What what is what is you know college basketball supposed to do about this? Because it's getting to the point now where it's really affecting the outcome of these games. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> because I was I was actually talking to a friend after UNC Baylor, and we're like maybe we're just getting older and grumpier. But then you have like yesterday and it just continues. And, and I, I don't know, I've always been upset about like the charge, the ambiguity of the charge call in college basketball. It's the hard, but it's the hardest call in basketball. Like in the NBA also, it's, it's ridiculous. And the reviewing of it is ridiculous. The whole thing's ridiculous. Yeah. But, and, and then, so beyond that, it's just, everything was bad. It was, it was so bad this weekend. And, and it wasn't just yes, Baylor UNC was a joke. But, I mean, Purdue, Texas, Purdue shot 46 free throws and Texas shot 12. I don't, I, I don't care. I know Texas fouls a lot. I know they defend, but that, that disparity is absurd. And that then is absurd. The R.J. Melendez, uh, that, that technical, I, that's not – I don't even think that's a rule. I, I don't even know how you can call that because I don't think it's, like, in the official rule book that hanging on the rim is a T. I think it's just whatever. And then – if you watch Arizona TCU, the the final play, and we can talk about this game in a bit, but the final play of regulation, TCU's guard, Mike Miles, has the ball, and Dalen Terry kind of like bumps into him and goes and th- that last second dunk. But the ref's there and it's just like there's no, it's a no call. And I get I, I get it at the end of the game. If it was or it wasn't a no call, I don't I don't know, but it, it looked it looked bad to me. So um, but there was a lot this weekend, and I don't know what they're going to do about it. I, these refs are conference-affiliated, so then you mix them up, and it's different styles of play, so that's got to have to do with it uh, in the NCAA tournament. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's got to be better than this. It really has got to be better. I'm all for swallowing the whistle, you know, to a point at the end of games. I'm all for it, but it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason to any of it now. Like you saw at the end of the, in the first round, uh, USC Miami. You look at like the call that put Miami at the free throw line, you know, to win the game, and then you look at like some of the non calls, like you mentioned at the at the Arizona TCU game in the second round. It's just like I, I don't know what we're doing here. It's it's frustrating, and it's definitely not going to end because we're going to talk about it and. I just think there are certain refs that if they make a certain call that's that egregious, they cannot be allowed to continue refing in the NCAA tournament. And I think the whole crew from the Baylor UNC game should be in that list. Um, 
yeah, it's it's bad. Well, we're going to continue to focus on the positives. <laughs> Looking ahead to the Sweet 16. The Michigan Wolverines go off. This is this is your your, your time to shine here. Fifth straight year. Tell me why Jawan Howard is a better coach than Cal Perry. Tell me why <laughs> this Michigan team is going to make another run. Tell me why this team is being validated for being a preseason top 10 team. Go off. This is your time. Floor is yours. It's the, first, it's the first time I think that both of our, our teams are uh, here. But, um, yeah, I mean, what what a performance. I mean, we were talking about Tennessee. Like, they, they were potentially on the one seed line. So, this I was not expecting. Um, just the way that Hunter Dickinson was able to. Oh, it was a rock fight. Holy like, moly, was this a rock fight able to just dominate the paint was so impressive. Um, and it's not something, it's not something that I'm unfamiliar with because I, he's been playing at all American level pretty much all year. Um, but Eli Brooks, who's um, a senior and, and just looked like he did not want to play his last game of college basketball. He was awesome. And that's going against this Tennessee defense that has been outstanding. Kennedy Chandler was amazing. He was pretty much the only guy doing anything for Tennessee. Um, and then, yeah, we just got lucky that they, they went two of 18 from three and, and they had some decent looks. So, um, I think that we are up against it this weekend. Uh, Villanova is awesome. Um, but again, I don't, I don't know how many teams have what it takes to stop a guy like Hunter Dickinson in the paint. And I don't think Villanova does, so they're going to probably have to bring doubles to stop him. But, um, it, it, it's, it's definitely an incredible season thus far. And, you know, I didn't think we'd beat Colorado State. So uh, the fact that we're already here in the Sweet 16 is is truly remarkable and total vindication for, for what happened at the start of the year and what happened just a few weeks ago and with Juwan and Wisconsin. And, oh, my God, in that moment at the end of the game where Kennedy Chandler is just crying and Juwan is, is giving him a hug and consoling him. You could totally see that in the one shining moment montage right now. Oh, so yep. It's that, am, that will be there. Lock that one in. I am just happy that uh, this turnaround has happened. And, you know, Chris Weber's on the sideline. Jalen's on the sideline. It's it's awesome. It's really how awesome. great. How great is it that the band is back together? It's that they've it's, reconciled. How great is it? I don't know what it does for this right now, but what it does for recruiting, I could tell you is amazing you you can't even begin to speak the value of having the coolest team ever just back together all kind of coaching together meanwhile i, I was i was watching chris weber in the on the sidelines you know i should say in the stands you know cheering for michigan oh. going crazy i'm thinking to myself like michigan doesn't have a player on this roster that was like in eighth as good as Chris Weber was in college, like not even close. Like yeah. it's just wild, just absolutely, absolutely wild. Um, no, yeah, it it's been a it's been an awesome run, and Jawan wins in the tournament. Like he just does. I mean, it started with Beeline. Beeline was a great tournament coach, but like Jawan's turning out to be a really good tournament coach. He he has he has a presence to him where he's just there's a common presence to him and maybe it's because he's played in these games before. Like, and, and remember like he was a six seed 
that made you know a final, right? Like he, he, he's been there. Like it's it's, it's just it's 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 the whole program itself. It's just crazy because it's we have the second most wins in the past ten years, only to Gonzaga. I mean, five straight Sweet Sixteens. This is that's unbelievable. You know, we're thought of as a football school, so it's really amazing. Well, and, and you were saying before this uh, year that Michigan was now a basketball school and you were done with John Harbaugh, but, you know, he makes the college football playoff. And I guess uh, you're back to being a football school again because Tom Brady visited, you know, one season. Do, do we want to give you some time to uh, to look? To, uh... Here, here, here's the thing. All right. I mean, again, I didn't get a whole lot right. I didn't get a whole lot right. But we did say that UNC was a dangerous a dangerous eight. They were a dangerous eight. I mean, that, that game against Duke and Cameron showed me something. The lumberjack Brady Manick is, is, you know, some type of dude. I don't understand it. Right. He's not particularly fast. I don't think he's that big, but like when I saw him put uh Paolo Bancaro in like the torture chamber in the second half of that game, I was like, there's, there's something about this dude. You know, he's just a gamer. The guards are gamers. And, I mean, that's going to be an awesome game Friday night against UCLA. Yeah. It's going to be a really, really good game. You know, the teams are really good. They're they're gelling at the right time. Plus, it's like legacy programs. Like, that's, that's the game of the weekend to me. Yeah, I, I just – I Jaime Hawkins sprained his ankle, so I hope he can play. If, if, because the Hawkins Brady Manic duels would be so fun so i really hope he's healthy they're basically it's like you know the spider-man meme where they're looking at yeah. each other in the mirror like that's those guys i think they're about the same size they play the same way like it's great yeah it's, that, it's that, great that, it's gonna be awesome it, it's awesome so okay so we talked about you know a little bit of you know michigan in the sweet 16 going against villanova and again i actually kind of like Michigan's chances because I just don't think it's this Villanova team is like the type of Villanova team we've seen over the last couple of years in terms of just being like a juggernaut um I, I guess you know coach Wright is one of the three best in the business so you know Villanova will always be seen as that but I just don't think they're as talented as they've been over over the years so I like Michigan's chances we spoke about UNC UCLA what else can you expect from um, the Sweet 16? What else are you looking looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the chalkier it is, the the, the more I'm looking forward to it, right? So, so really, the the West region where you have the the Gonzaga, Arkansas, and the Texas Tech two games, those are those are games that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, Gonzaga struggled; um, they struggled with Memphis this weekend. Their transition defense was poor. And that's something that if you have a shitty transition defense, Arkansas is going to run you off the floor because that's all they do, right? J.D. Note um, and the Hogs just run all game. So that'll be a, a, a great matchup. And then Texas Tech, I mean, is, there's no tougher defense in the country. So them playing against what, um, what Duke brings, and then obviously it's going to be the spotlight's going to be on K because it always is. But um, what Paolo and Keels can do, uh, in the teeth of that Texas Tech defense um, is, is really going to be – those are the two matchups that I'm really looking forward to. And then over there, you, I mean, you mentioned um, the South region, but 
Um, Arizona Houston is a game also that I think should be awesome. Houston is 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 amazing. They're they're quietly putting together a really nice tournament, and it shouldn't be any surprise that if they're not favored against Arizona, it's probably a pick them because um, the computers think Houston is the second best team in the country, um, and Houston's been great. They're on fire from three, um, so that's great. And then yeah, it's it's can you stop Arizona's athletes? Can you stop their rangy bigs, whether it's Coloco or Omar Balo in, in the paint? And then Ben Matherin, who we talked about earlier, but he, he is he was awesome against TCU. Awesome. Um, so, so Houston, Arizona is a game that I'm really looking forward to. Um, and then we mentioned North Carolina, UCLA. Um, and then lastly, I think Kansas Providence. Um, Providence is a team that everybody kind of wrote off. You know, whether it was losing to Iowa or a bunch of teams had South Dakota State upsetting them. The analytics, the analytics did not like Providence. They didn't. But, you know, they blew the doors off Richmond in, in the second round. Killed and, them. Killed and them. Kansas, and Kansas struggled against Creighton without Creighton's big man. He was injured for that game. Paul Brenner, who was the star of the first round against San Diego State. So um, with a struggling Kansas and a Providence playing really well, um, I think that'll be a great, great game. That region is like a little bit of a mess. You don't know what to make of that region at all because Kansas has been shaky. You know, Iowa was in that region. Iowa lost in the first round. People are talking about Auburn being a one seed at one point. They lost. Like, that region makes no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, I've got no feel for what's going on over there because Bill no Self likes to choke in the tournament also. Uh, considering where he's been seated, but hey, you know they're back in the Sweet 16 and they should be in the driver's seat. But at that that region, like, could Ed Cooley do it and get to the Final Four? Could he do it? The fact that it's that if Kansas loses, it's either going to be like Providence, Miami, Florida, or Iowa State in the Final Four is bananas. I mean, <laughs> bananas. <laughs> I want to go back to Gonzaga. Uh, the Gonzaga Memphis game was was interesting. What yeah. what do you make of Chet? We talk about Chet a lot here. Well, he is one of the biggest stories in college basketball, right? Um, well, because there's no one like him. There, there's there, no one like him. He's 170 pounds and he's seven feet tall. There is there is there is no one like Chet. Um, yeah, I mean, Gonzaga Memphis was was a crazy game. Um, the I thought it was a lot about what Gonzaga's guards did, though. Um, Andrew Nemhart was really good, and Rossier Bolton was awesome. And I think that's what really put put them over the top. Um, but, yeah, Chet, Chet struggled, I thought, in that game, actually. Um, he, I think Jalen Duran is probably part of the reason, uh, who's another NBA player. So, But uh, it's not like Duran had a big game. Like, he struggled from no. the field, too. Uh, If anything, I came away from that game being impressed by Chet because, like, even if he didn't have it, he's a fighter, man. Like, he's a fighter. He he doesn't stop. He's a little relentless, and I I like that about him. And he still blocks shots and he grabs boards, so it's not only scoring. But, yeah, I mean, Drew Timmy really set them off in that that game. But, again, the guard play was great. But And Timmy, who was pretty – I think we talked earlier in the season, we're like preseason player of the year, potentially could be Drew Timmy. And you kind of write him off, and then here he is again, um, putting up twenty-seven. Yeah, monster game. So, 
Now, Gonzaga was the number one overall seed. Like, how do you feel about them going forward in terms of, you know, the rest of the way? I mean, are we yeah. still uh, as bullish on Gonzaga as we were before? It's hard to be. It's hard to be. The You know, the, the parody it's really is it's crazy. It's really hard to be, especially because the region's so chalky, right? Um, you know, Arkansas is relentless. They're, they're not going to they're not going to take take possessions off. Um, and then, yeah, the bottom of that is Texas Tech, which is just a not fun team to play. And then Duke. So you have that talent. So, I mean, could they still make the final four? Sure. But national championship, they're going to have to earn that if they're going to get there. So this is not, yeah, they're not playing an 11 seed in UCLA. So let me ask you, let me ask you this one final question. Um, are you still feeling Arizona to cut the nets down? Oh man. After last night, um, after last night, I, I don't know. I, I still, Houston's pretty good. Um, I I think I am, um, you know, if they can beat Houston, I I feel pretty good about them being the final four. And then once you're there, um, again, that, that weird region with Kansas Providence and I feel comfortable with them there as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they definitely showed some vulnerabilities last night. So we'll see. I, I do, I do still like them and I'm going to stick with my pick because why would I not? I like them too, because, you know, the region that they could potentially play in the final four is, is just weaker and weirder. And what I feel like they're not going to be as tested as the other teams and as worn out as the other teams, but who knows who the hell knows that, that, and that that's why this is, this is the best. This is the absolute best. Yeah. We're in for a fun, fun weekend coming up. It's going to be a fun, uh, fun weekend. So I, so I mentioned that UNC UCLA is my favorite game of the week. What's your favorite game of the weekend? Well, because well, we can't project towards the elite eight. So yeah, yeah, no. Um, well, my favorite game of the weekend is definitely Houston, Arizona. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, obviously, I mean, obviously Michigan, Villanova, but that's going to be, that's not a fun game for me to watch. I was going to say, that's not fun. That's more a that's, labor of love. Yeah, no, no, no. He, I, I, I really am looking forward to Houston, Arizona. Um, Houston has been really blowing me away and I kind of picked against them. And now I'm just like, uh, Arizona is up against it. So let's, let's see that. Should be an awesome, awesome weekend. Well, we're obviously going to have to run it back again next week to talk about it because that's what we do. We have to recap what's going on. Jordan, this was great as always. Maybe your voice will be uh, will come back a little bit more next weekend. Who knows? Depending on what happens with Michigan, it's always great to talk to you, recap uh, tournament weekends, and we'll do it again next week. Thanks so much for doing it, man. Speak to you soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. I know we're in the midst of March Madness. NBA playoffs are around the corner. The regular season is finishing up. We have postseason awards we got to talk about. But there's also another game we got to talk about because this season of The Bachelor finished in interesting fashion. So, We're running a segment in the midst of all the basketball craziness and all the NFL craziness with quarterbacks changing teams. You know who it is. You love this guest. Lizzie, what's going on? So excited to be here. There is so much to say. So I want to start with a a broad level question. 
And again, we're going to get into what happened in a little bit. We're going to start from, you know, kind of hometowns, fantasy suites and, and work our way back. But where is the bachelor and the franchise going from here, given how it unfolded? Like, to be honest, what is the goal of this show? Like, what are we what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, where do we go from here? I think I don't think they know. I think based off of. I won't give anything away. I guess we can go into it. But based off of the way they ended the show and the way Jesse Palmer was talking, it sounds like no one really knows and they're kind of winging it. Um, And I think right now their goal is to just one-up themselves from the season before, honestly. But in terms of drama or in terms of relationship building? Because if we're to make this strictly a drama show, okay, I I can understand. Because then – you really can't take anything at face value. But if it's a relationship show, I think the the show's having itself like a little bit of a identity crisis, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're realizing that they've been on for 20 years and with Chris Harrison leaving, I think they're realizing that maybe they're getting a little stale and there are all these other shows and Netflix and things like that that they need to compete So I think even though probably the ideal scenario is just for it to be, you know, about finding someone, I think right now it's probably more about the drama because they want to be able to stay afloat and they want people to get bored. So you think they're really threatened by shows like Love is Blind and Love Island and Too Hot to Handle and that they're they're really trying to lean into the, uh, the craziness of it all. Yeah, those are my thoughts, but I don't know. What do you think? I don't know, because like, so I guess, I mean, we're obviously going to work our way backwards. But okay, so every, I'm sure everybody's probably seen what happened and Susie comes back, right? So do you, how much of this do you think the, um, you know, the producers are feeding to the contestants and like what is authentic feelings and what's not? I mean, I don't know. I feel really conflicted about the whole Susie situation because the way she made it sound when the show ended was not only did she not want to leave with him, but she seemed uninterested. Like my thoughts, and I know we were talking about this offline, was that when she left initially by the fantasy suites, I kind of felt she seemed like she was just making an excuse and she realized that she didn't like him enough or didn't love him enough. And that was her excuse to leave. And then I felt like validated in that when it was at the very end and he asked her, is it that you need more time or do you think, and well, she said, you know, I, I don't think I love you the way you love me. And he asked if they needed more time or that's how she felt and it will never change. And that's what she said. So I kind of feel I feel upset that she ended up coming back and they're together because I feel like we were gift of an actually dramatic ending. There, this season, as opposed to other seasons, have really made me question how authentic the feelings are between the contestants. Because, I, like, I don't know, just the whole the, the whole way it ended and with with, you know, the amount of crying that Rachel did. And I just, I, I don't know where the show is going. And if we can really take it seriously as a relationship show anymore. 
do you are you saying Rachel crying because you think like she was being dramatic and she didn't really care that much or no I I think how do I explain this I I I think she, she actually cared like she actually genuinely cared like when she said the line uh you're really gonna put me in the uh in the van right now like that was like a little heartbreaking, but I also, when she got up on the stage after the show was over, right? When they were talking on the couch, like there was no way that she didn't still have feelings for him. And I don't believe, and I don't believe for a second that like, she doesn't have some type of animosity towards Susan. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. Why is it Susie's fault? Susie didn't do anything wrong in this scenario. She didn't tell him, wait for me, uh, lead them on. She left. No, because because ultimately, like, if it's about finding love, like, and it's the competition, like, Susie won out, right? Yeah, but it wasn't. So she's got to be super jealous because she still has feelings yeah, for Yeah, but him. jealousy is different than animosity. It wasn't. Susie wasn't trying to win at all, actually, in this scenario. I mean, if the whole game is to find the person you're in love with, she can't really be that upset at Susie that it wasn't her. But what I do think she's valid in, and what we only found out at the, after the final rose was when she said, you know, you told me that I'm the first person you've told you love in five years. And she was right in saying, why would I think that you would choose anyone else? All right, so let, let's 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 go back to you know. So we got hometowns. We meet a couple of interesting characters. We got Big Tony. Uh, he's he looked like a uh, like a potential MVP candidate of that episode. We had the grandfather. I think it was Gabby's grandfather who was great, yeah. great character. So it's now Gabby, Susie, and Rachel and Fantasy Suites for those who uh, you know we're just recapping a little bit. And we all know what goes on in Fantasy Suites, right? And I can't imagine that the contestants didn't realize, you know, or haven't watched the show at all to know what goes on in Fantasy Suites. We're talking coitus, people, right? It happens, okay? Let's just get it out in the open. It happens, all right? So how much do you think the producers meddled in the order here? 100%. right? So, like... Susie has to know, has to know that Clayton is going to sample the merchandise. Well, that's not what she said. What she said, and I'll tell you why, to a certain extent, she's not wrong. She said, he was telling me he loved me the most, which is true. So therefore, I assume there was no way he was going to sleep with the other girls, because if he was going to choose me at the end, why would he do that? And if he loved me the think, most, if, I wa- if we're walking it back, I don't think he told her that he loved her the most at that moment. He, he did. He at did. that point, I, I think he told Rachel a lot. You know, stronger feelings in terms of saying "I love you" for the first time in years. Like, how is that? Well, we didn't know that though until after. So, just face value, I would have said Susie. But either way. And she's right in the sense that Nick Fial is very um, vocal about this, and I'm sure other bachelors are too, that he said, like, by the time of Fantasy Suites, he knew that it was going to be Vanessa, and therefore he did not sleep with Raven or whoever else there was, or Rachel, because 
he knew that that would forever like taint their relationship and Vanessa probably would never be able to get over it. So right. he didn't sleep with them. So, and but is, but is was, that, hold on one second, because, and I've been watching the show a lot, you know, shorter than you. Is that the norm for Bachelor contestants? Because I feel like it's not. So it depends. It, there's definitely a large majority of people who say that they specifically don't sleep with more than the person they're going to pick because they know. I mean, there are the Ben Higgins of the world. We know he slept with both of them and told both of them that he loved them. But I think in this scenario, even though I think Clayton probably knew that at the end it would be Susie, I do kind of believe that he wasn't 100% sure and he really felt like he had to be intimate, as he says, with all of them for him to really definitively know. So I'm not saying that Susie was right in being upset. I'm just saying I, I understand the sentiment. So what was your biggest issue with Clayton on how he played the fantasy suite situation? And then the rose ceremony afterwards, which was like a grade A debacle. So I don't care about the fantasy suite that he slept with all of them. I think, not that I think there's no problem with it, but if he felt he needed to do that or that's something very important to him in a relationship, I don't think he's wrong in doing that. Um, and even Gabby said, he was, she was like, I want him to explore all the other relationships. I mean, Gabby but was only upset that he on, said- I, then Gabby kind of walked it back at the end no, also. Gabby only walked back. Gabby didn't care that he slept with other people. He he cared that he, he told- three women that he loved them. that's not the same thing she wanted them she wanted him right. to explore you don't have to explore like to say i love you doesn't mean that you're exploring their relationship necessarily so i don't really have a problem with the fantasy suite and to be honest although i think there were some problematic parts of the breakup at that point with him and Susie, i don't necessarily think he's the monster that some people were making him out to be in that moment um i, I don't think either yeah, I think it was a very human moment that a lot of us probably have felt and a lot of us probably would react similarly. My problem is that he had that conversation with Rachel and Gabby together at the rose ceremony. That was my problem. Yeah, the logistics of that were, were not great. And then you have Gabby takes him away. Like, you know, they, they go off to the side and they're having the conversation. Rachel's basically left there to cry on the steps and then he has to like do the whole thing over again like that whole thing was absurd absolutely absurd yeah yep. but beyond that was my biggest thing with the fantasy suite debacle and again i i'm on you know from when i've watched the show i i just always assume that you know you have fantasy suite time with beautiful people like shit's gonna go down like that's what they do it for, right? They're inviting this and, and it's almost impossible to say no. You know, as Nick said, some people do, but I, I, I tend to believe that Nick is in the minority in this, right? My biggest thing was how, how he handled Susie was the manner of which he spoke to her. It was not what he said, but it was like how he was saying it. It was like, Susie's having these real emotions, right? She's a little jealous that he ends up sleeping with two women, even though he tells her that she loves her, which is normal. I, I know Susie needs to watch the show a little bit more, but you can't help but like get wrapped up in your feelings if you're in it. But it was just like, after he, he does the deed, he pseudo apologizes, but it's like, 
why didn't you bring this up to me before? Like now everything that we have is completely null and I'm questioning everything. Like, what are we talking about, dude? Yeah, I mean, I think that was it's so right. weird. It was like he doesn't, think, he doesn't understand yeah. human behavior. Well, I think, I think it's kind of just he was, I think he was very caught off guard. And in the moment, I think in his head, he was thinking like, yeah, I slept with those other girls and I told them I love them and I'm not 100% sure, but gun to my head right now, it's Susie. And I think he was really excited about spending that time with her. And he thought that it was so obvious to Susie and that pretty much like their love was so strong that nothing could really break it. And then for him to see her in one second, turn around and say, well, everything we built thus far is null and void because you slept with the other two girls. I think he was so in shock that he just was like having irrational responses in, in terms of he didn't know, like he didn't have the luxury of time to collect his thoughts and be able to come at her with a very articulate answer. I'm not saying what he said was right or how he reacted was right. And I'm sure if I was Susie in the moment, I also would have been very taken aback. But I think it comes from a place that we could all probably tap into. It's just the way it all unfolded. And I think that was very purposeful on the producer's part. Well, they definitely got a rise out of people, the producers, in terms of splicing everything up uh, and making it seem, you know, basically really like like painting the picture that like he was like like a, like a monster almost like an emotional yeah. monster, which I'm not saying he wasn't, but again, like to the degree that it was painted, not, not great, not a great look for Clayton. Um, so now we go to, so the rose ceremony happens. Were you shocked that Rachel and Gabby then accepted the rose? I to wasn't shocked his that, to meet his I wasn't parents? shocked that Rachel did. I was shocked that Gabby did. I just, I, I couldn't believe that either of them would want to meet his family after that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm sure producers were involved in that. And I'm sure so that, that was my next. So, okay. So that was my next question. We were talking about the validity of the feelings, right? The validity of the feelings. That was like a major red flag in terms of, I don't think that, you know, these two are really in it for feelings anymore. I think it's just a reality show now that the producers are, are steering it that way. So that's not what I meant when I said producers. What I meant is that I think Gabby was ready to leave. I think the producers convinced her like, no, no, he didn't really love Susie as much as you think. He really loves you the most. He told us that, you know, and got in her head because I don't, I actually really don't believe that they were there because she's, she's not the type of person that looks like she wants to like waste her time. And she didn't know that the end result would be that she'd be the bachelorette. So I don't like it could have easily been just Rachel or someone else. Um, what I will say, I mean, like Gabby, and we'll get into it as we go on, but Gabby's really just the queen of life. But she said so many things. So, you know, you watch TV, especially reality TV. All you're doing is yelling at the TV of like, just say this to them or just do that. Gabby actually says all of those things. So at the rose ceremony, when she first walked away and he went after her, he was just talking, talking, talking. And she's like, just say you're sorry. Just say you're sorry. Like he never even said that. Right. Which is, which, and I thought Gabby was the big winner out of all this. 
I thought she was the big winner out of all this. I thought she was the most emotionally mature, the most intellectually mature, all that kind of stuff. Which is why I can't for the life of me understand that after she put him in his place, the way she did, that she went to meet his parents. Like Again, just, I'm, I think like, me. yeah, well, I think we can't, obviously we're not in it and we never experienced it, but it's not, it can't be lost on us that I'm sure it's a very, you know, it's a very intense um, environment and all of your feelings are super heightened. So I believe that she really felt that she loved him and she thought that she was going to be the one at the end. All this happened. He's begging her to stay. And I'm sure the producers were also telling her that they spoke to him and he said that she's the one. And then all gets in your head when there's no distractions around you and that's all there is. I could see going back on your word and staying. So if Gabby's the big winner, would you say that taking aside the dual bachelorette thing, you know, between Gabby and Rachel in a second, but do you think Rachel's the big loser here? I don't. I mean, I think Gabby is the clear winner. So like that inadvertently makes Rachel the loser, but I don't actually think she is. I think they very much, the two of them encompass every woman in like multiple scenarios. You're, you're one of two people. You're either the one that says F you, I hate you, which is Gabby. And, or you're the girl. Which became again, which is weird, but okay. No, but at the end, but at the end, her whole like monologue was amazing. And she was like, you don't deserve me. I'm amazing. And, and then you have the other girl or the other time or the other relationship where you're devastated and you tell them, you know, you're going to regret this tomorrow and I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. And I feel like it was a really nice dichotomy of the two types of women or the two types of scenarios. And I think in that sense, they'll probably complement each other. I don't know what the season is going to be like. And again, I don't think the producers do either. But I get why they did both of them. I think Gabby would have been amazing as a standalone, but I understand why they did that together. Now, what do we think of Susie throughout all this? Susie, as everybody knows, was one of our favorites going in, right? We absolutely Mm -hmm. love Susie. We liked Rachel, we liked Gabby, but we like Susie was like one that really stuck out. The fact that she she comes back after all this and that they're still together, like yeah. has Susie's stock gone down a little bit? I think so. I I hate to say it, but I kind of feel like it's true. I mean, I think that there would have been a big possibility that she would have been the bachelorette if she didn't come back or if it would have ended differently. Um, not to say, listen, they seem happy. And if it works out, that's great. And it makes me feel better about the fact that she came on it really for a relationship. Cause I'm sure they're getting a lot of flack. Um, I think it was more, I don't even know that it's Susie being a loser. It's more of, I really was just, and I, I don't think Clayton's a bad guy. So it's not that I wanted him to end up miserable and alone, but it would have been a great ending for the first time ever to have everyone walk away from him and him ends up alone. It's kind of anticlimactic that she came back to me on it. I think it would have been a very appropriate ending. And I'm I'm honestly shocked, you know, given how the show matures throughout the season. Like I'm shocked it doesn't happen more often. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the best, what the ending should have been, everyone, what it should have been is Susie leaves at that rose ceremony, Gabby leaves. And then Rachel says, well, I don't want to be the consolation prize. She leaves. He ends with, ends up with no one. And then he goes on paradise. That would have been the ending. Yeah, but we, come on. You know, you know that if everybody would have left and Rachel would have been there, she would have, she would have fell for it. No, she said it. Oh, you, you, do you honestly believe her? I do. Because, because that's the shitty, that's the shittiest feeling ever to be like, well, I'm the only one left of the three. He clearly liked Susie the best. He ran after Gabby and I'm the only schmuck left here. I think it would have been really hard to get past that. I don't know what. Why do I think so little of Rachel now in terms of her ability to like? Okay, or even not. Even because if, I just felt like she was such a sad sack. Yeah, I think she just really, really loved him and thought they were going to end up together. But I'm saying, okay, so let's take that away. Let's say Gabby comes back and it's still the two of them. He ends it with them. And then the show ends the way it did minus Susie coming back. I think that would have been great. And then you put him on Paradise. I think he would have thrived there. Why? Why do you say so? Because I think he would do much better in an environment with a lot more people. I don't think he's cut out for The Bachelor. So I heard something uh, Bill Simmons was talking about it. Um, Do you think that this was stealth a perfect Bachelor pick? Because, like, you knew he was going to mess up. The producers knew he was going to mess up and do something ridiculous. And it would just be talking fodder. And they basically threw him to the wolves on purpose. Yeah. Absolutely, right? Yeah. I think that mixed with the fact that he fits the bill of like the old school bachelor, you know, Midwest, like football guy. But 100% because. But I don't. Right. Yeah. But I don't think the old school. Again, I'm somewhat newer to this, but I don't think their goal is for even if it has a certain personality profile is for him to, you know, fail spectacularly. No, no, no. Which is why I think both. I think it makes a lot of sense because what we said from day one was, you know, in during Michelle's season, we found out so early on that he was going to be the bachelor. Everyone was surprised because they didn't really know him. Then we thought as the season goes on, we'll get to know him. We still, the season ended, we know nothing about him. He was number like eight or something. And we were all thinking like, there must be something unbelievable about him that they chose him and they knew. But I think Bill is right. It's not that it was unbelievable. It's that they knew it was going to be an epic fail in the, in the best way for them. Right. So again, going back to the original thing, like, it, it, is that what the show is now? Or is it like a relationship show? Well, I think they needed, I think they felt like they needed to switch it up the last season. They ended up together. They're still together. Happy ending. Great. But it was pretty boring last season. Yeah. I I just, I don't know. They they needed some messiness. Well, they definitely got it. They got it in spades. And as much as I think he handled himself poorly, like I kind of feel bad for him knowing that like ABC kind of set him up. Totally. I think he seems like a real, like, I don't think anything that he, I don't think he's a bad guy at all. I don't think he was malicious. I think he just didn't know what to do. He was in a scenario where he felt lost and he did what he felt like he should do in the moment. And 
he messed up. We listen. If all of our lives are broadcasted on broadcasted on TV, we'd all get a lot of flack for a lot of things. Um, oh yeah, I I, I would uh, having uh, done TV before uh, in a very limited capacity. Uh, I I wouldn't want that to be. Uh, I wouldn't want my full life to be broadcasted on TV. Let's yeah, and I agree with you that when like the breakup with Susie happened, so normally they always under all circumstances try to make the bachelor or bachelorette always look the best so they'll edit it in ways to make sure that they always come out looking good usually when it's a happy ending in this scenario i think they purposely showed it to us the way they did with susie because they wanted us not to like him because they wanted to champion the other two girls and kind of make because if you see like everyone was just ripping on him big tony wasn't happy well, Big Tony should be happy now because his daughter is going to be famous. Famous and, and wealthier. And she probably yeah. will never fly another plane again. Yeah. Well, she has been now. I've seen her TikTok. Oh, yeah? She's flying yeah. now? She's, she's yeah. doing it? Yeah. So do you think Clayton and Susie, like, actually end up together for more than a couple of months? I think they have potential, too, because I think – they're, they didn't get engaged. They're taking their time. He already moved to Virginia. Um, and I think people, now that they have the two bachelorettes, I think people don't really care about them anymore. And they might be able to kind of like live their own life. So the two bachelorettes, and we'll end on this. Like, wh- what is this? Like, ha- how is this logistically going to work? Are they going to be competing for guys? Like, how are they going to stay friends through all this? I don't know. I mean, obviously, two different pools. Like, what? Like, what are we doing? I have to believe it's going to be two different pools, and they just somehow, or maybe they'll be able to interact with each other, like the two bachelorettes. Like, maybe they get to room together, or like, so they. Yeah, but let's say one of the contestants who's there for Rachel likes Gabby. I don't think they're going to put the. I think they're going to have separate pools of guys. I'm thinking maybe just the girls will be together for certain things. Like they'll be able to lean on it. Cause like you said, it can't, it's not going to be a Caitlin and Brit thing where you're going to have them choose one. And how could you have two bachelorettes and not expect there to be like, I think the whole point of making the two bachelorettes was not to pit the two women against each other because like everyone loved how they were best friends. So I, again, I don't really think that they know what they're doing. I, I think they're going to make it up as they go. I really, truly believe that. One last, last thing. Um, Jesse Palmer. Rate his performance this season. I think he did great. I'm going to give an eight. At the end, he was really like a caricature of Chris Harrison times like a billion. Like he leaned into all the mannerisms to like the nth degree, which is just like, all right, dude, like carve out, if it's not going to be Chris, carve out your own niche, you know? But I mean, he, he's, he's personable. He knows the franchise. He's done it before. So I, I think he's a good choice. I just like to see a little bit more Jesse Palmer and a little less Chris Harrison on steroids, because if it's not Chris, then, then do your own thing a little bit. Yeah, but I think he needs time to be able to, like, develop his own style, you know. And also, remember, Bachelor is very much a formula, and people are watching it because it is the same. Even right. with Tasha and Caitlin, 
they said the same phrase as Chris Harrison said all the time. So yeah, but but it's, but it's not just the same. It's not the same phrases. It's it's the tone. It's the whole like it's the cadence of way of speaking. It's the it's the whole night. Yeah, but you. I mean, you never know. There hasn't been another male like um host before so it's hard to know but i think over time he'll feel more comfortable to develop his own isn't i think like even on the after the final rose particularly i think he kind of held his own there did he sign a long-term deal to do this like is he going to be one and done like or is this going to be his thing now i think it's going to be his thing now i could see him being the next like chris harrison for the next 20 years so what's Chris going to be doing now? Just just counting his just, his money just while making he... money. He's still. I'm sure he's doing like tons of other endeavors. He's getting married. Um, Love Chris. Yeah, um, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's living off his millions and millions of dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, he got paid off a settlement to. But to... he also made a ton of money every year. Yeah, I, I'm not crying for him financially. I'm just, you know, professionally. What 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 is he doing now? I'm sure whenever his NDA is up, he'll write a book or something. And I'm sure he has many ventures. I'm not worried about him. All right. Well, Lizzie, another episode, another season, I should say. It was eventful. It it makes me question why I watch this show anymore. Um, A lot of different things. But I, I thought I was out after Chris Harrison left. I was back. We'll see how long uh, it stays in terms of being back. I I don't love this formula for The Bachelorette, but I'm sure you'll let me know if it's worth watching. Lizzie, it's always great to to talk to you about this stuff, and we'll uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks so much. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks again to recurring guest Jordan Marks for breaking down the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Always good stuff with him. And to Lizzie Verstendig for coming on to recap The Bachelor. Wild, wild end to that season. Wild stuff all around, packed episode. That's episode 149 for the love of the game. Take us out the baby. Time to turn into a savage. You play with me, I'll probably burn him on camera. Damn a rapper killed the rapper. A big player. It don't matter what happened before. What really matters happened now. My love is a masterpiece. I ain't even gotta be funny when I'm telling no joke. She still gonna laugh at me. Still suck my dick. She mad at me. Let it make me mad. You see, I nod my head in this dude. Don't slide on your for me. Bust down call your new masterpiece. My love is a masterpiece. Telling no joke, she still gon' laugh at me Still suck my dick, she mad at me Let it make me mad, you see I nod my head in this Them gon' slide on your For me, bust down, call your new masterpiece Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host By subscribing to the show And giving us a five-star rating On your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com And search for B-L-E-A-V On YouTube